those people, who do you think about? You know, those people. Not our people, not even their people, but those people. Those people who look different than we do and people who talk differently than we do. People who live in different parts of town or different parts of the world. People who are from different countries. Uh, people who have uh, different customs and traditions. People who speak different languages. When you think about those people, who do you think about? They're different from us. They're they're foreign to us. They're alien to us. They they make us uncomfortable and insecure, and and their their strangeness can be threatening to us. Why? In fact, why would we ever want to? Why would we ever want to go and and mix with them? Why would we ever want to uh, to to go and have relationships with them? The reason is, is that many of those people are lost. And we know what it was like to be far away from God, to be alienated from God. We were corrupt. We were futile in our thinking. And yet Jesus Christ, who did not, he did not have to come down and face any of the, the opposition that he faced when he taught the truth. He did not have to give up his rights as the son of God in, in, in having all of the glory of, of Godhood and becoming a human being. He did not have to take that onto himself. He did not have to give up anything. He did not have to be mocked or spit upon or shamed or, or crucified. But for, for those who were like us, that is, those of us who are sinners, those of us who were futile in our thinking and corrupt and in every way separated from God, separated from everything that is good, everything that is holy, everything that is right, Jesus Christ came for those people like us. And so what we see in that is having had him come for us who were hostile to him, who were his enemies, we see that we become all things to all people so that we might save some, so that we might win some for the sake of the gospel. That's what I hope you'll see by the end of today, is that because Jesus Christ has come and has loved us and has come and retrieved us and rescued us, we go to those who make us uncomfortable and who seem threatening to us and strange to us. We go to those who are outside of us so that we might win them for the sake of the gospel. That's what we're going to look at first. We're going to look at, uh, I want you to see that, that we do all this for the sake of the gospel. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9 today. 1 Corinthians 9. Before we kind of get into 1 Corinthians 9, we, I want to do like a little bit of a flashback. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Context is always important, but especially in the passage we're going to look at today, context is really important. So, we look at, if you want to flip just maybe a page or two over to 1 Corinthians 8, uh, what Paul is dealing with is the issue of rights and of meat that has been offered to idols. And, and the whole issue that is, is introduced in chapter 8 is that there are some people who are uh, weak in conscience, and, and for them, uh, in their minds, eating sin that has been, eating, eating food that has been offered at any point to an idol uh, is sin for them. And so uh, Paul, Paul is urging those who, who do not see it that way to give up their rights for the sake of the gospel. And then in 1 Corinthians 8, 13, he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, 
lest I make my brother stumble. That is, he is, he is willing to give up meat into eternity. He's willing to give up meat forever just to keep his brother from sinning, just to keep his brother from stumbling, to keep his brother, at one point Paul says, from being destroyed. Now then, if you flip over and you look at uh, chapter 9, verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, Paul gives his own example as an example of giving up your rights. He had a right to receive support, to receive financial support for his preaching of the gospel. And yet he says in verse 15, he says, but I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. That is, I want to show you what it looks like to give up your rights. And I've given up my, not just, not just my, my food, I've given up my livelihood so that I could show you what it looks like to be an example of giving up your rights for the gospel. Now, even before we get into our passage for today, did you ever know that there was so much in the Bible about giving up your rights? I did not. We've already been through chapter 8, a little bit of chapter 9, and if not, I think this is, this is maybe one of those areas of, of the Christian life, of, the, of something that is really practical, something that, that matters to our relationships, giving up our rights for the sake of our brothers. How, how much more harmony and peace would there be in the church if people would freely give up their rights for the sake of the gospel. Not only that, but what we're going to see today is how many more people will be one to know Jesus Christ as their Savior if we were willing to give up our rights to go and win them to the gospel. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. When we look at verses 19 through 23, uh, this is a, in, in some passages, in some passages of Scripture, we, we think we already know what it means, so we don't take any time to understand what it means. We just go ahead and apply what we think it means, and that can go anywhere. So it's a, if when you look at verses 19 through 23, all things to all people, there, no one, uh, there's no verse that I can think of where more well-intentioned foolishness has been introduced into the church than based upon these verses. So before we apply a passage of Scripture, we need to make sure that we understand that passage of Scripture. So read with me. We're going to be talking about the for the sake of the gospel, verses 19 through 23. This is what it says. It says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. In verse 19, Paul says, for I am free from all. He's talking there about his Christian freedom. That is, no one is placing on him any restraints. No one can come over him. He is, he is the servant of one Lord, Jesus Christ. He is not enslaved to anyone uh, in that way. He is, he is only has one master, that is Jesus Christ. And not only that, but, but there's even this idea that, that he's given up his, his paycheck 
And so no one is sort of his patron. No one, no one is his boss. Sometimes that happens in, in congregations where they get the idea that since they, they pay the preacher, then therefore the, the preacher works for them. But, but whether a preacher is paid or unpaid, he works for one master. He works for one boss. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm, I'm free from you all. And since I gave up my paycheck, I've only made it even clear that I, I don't, I don't owe anything to you. I'm not, you're not my patron. You're not my benefactor. I don't owe you anything. But he, then he says, I am free from all, but I've made myself a servant. That is literally, I have enslaved myself. I have enslaved myself that I might win more of them. That's the goal. That's the goal. He, he, he's not a slave of anyone. He only has one master. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not the slave of any man. And yet he enslaves himself to win more of them for the gospel, win more of them to faith in Jesus Christ. And he talks about three groups of people. He says to the first, he says about one group, first group of people, he says, to the Jew, I became as a Jew. Now think about that. He clarifies that to those under the law, I became as one under the law. I think it's really, watch, watch his language. Watch in those, especially those first two groups, he talks about became as a Jew or as a Gentile. When he talks about those under the law, he's talking about the Jews. And he's talking about those who are under the law covenant that God made with the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai through Moses. Moses is often called the Mosaic covenant or the old covenant. And so as part of that covenant, that is, this a, a covenant is a solemn agreement between two parties. And as a part of that covenant, there were lots and lots and lots of laws. There were civil laws, that is, they were, they were under civil laws as far as a nation. You know, there was no other nation that had this kind of relationship with God. There is no nation in the past or, or even in the present that has this kind of relationship with God. This is God speaking his laws to this nation. So they, they're under these civil laws. They also have these ceremonial laws or ritual laws that taught them about what was clean and what was uh, unclean or what was pure and impure and, and taught them how to how they needed to have access to God, gave them rituals for, gave them priests and temple and sacrifice about how to access God. They also had moral laws, that is, laws that were, were built into, that were part or expressions of the character of God. And so they, they had to obey those laws. They were, they were expressions of, of God's righteousness. But Paul says, I'm not under that law. I became as a Jew. Now, on the one hand, Paul, Paul can be really impassioned about the Jews. You read someplace like Romans 9, 1 through 11, uh, 9 through 11. And Paul is talking about, I would give up my life if my very own people, those people who are my blood and my kin, would come to know the Lord. But here, Paul is talking about, when I, when I am thinking about reaching out to those Jews who do not yet trust in Jesus Christ, and I am trying to persuade them to become, uh, become believers in Jesus Christ, trying to persuade them to trust in Jesus Christ, I become like one of them, which means I'm not one of them. Paul does not think of himself, his primary identity as a Jew. His primary identity is not being Jewish. So he is able to move to become like them in order to win them. Now, the second group that he talks about is Gentiles. That is those who do not have the law. 
That would, that would characterize most of us here, those of us who are, who are not Jewish, who are outside the law. But he says, to them, I became, I became like one who did not have the law. Now, you might think Paul, Paul in a couple of places, Galatians 2, and, and when he's called to, to be an apostle, a preacher of the gospel, he is called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, he causes a kind of needed confrontation in Galatians 2 over Peter stopped, stopped eating with the Gentiles. And so Paul kind of says, hey, you need to, you're, you're messing things up. You're, you're making a, your conduct is not in keeping with the gospel. And so you might think that when when Paul came to trust in Jesus Christ, he went from being a Jew to being a Gentile. That's not what he says. He says, I became as a Jew. I became as a Gentile. You know, he, he, has, he has freedom to eat whatever he wants. But when it comes to eating at a Jewish table, when it comes to eating kosher or clean, he gives up his rights. On the other hand, when he goes and eats at a Gentile table, and, and he's grown up his whole life as a law-keeping Jew. Uh, he's always thought of this food that is all over this table as unclean food. This is, this is, this is, he, this is not what mama used to make in the Jewish household, okay? He's, he's looking at all kinds of things you're not supposed to eat. But when he's sitting down with those who are not Jews, who are eating things that he has always in the past associated with, with what is unclean and what is defiled, he becomes as a Gentile. So what does he think of himself as? He's not thinking of himself as a Jew. He's not thinking of himself as a Gentile. He thinks of himself as a Christian. By trusting in Jesus Christ, he has, he has come out of, of his Jew, Jewishness. He has come out of being a Gentile and he has become a Christian. He is in a third category. Now, out of that category, he's able to flex and to adapt to become like a Jew. And he's able to flex and to adapt to become like a Gentile. But his primary identity is as a Christian. And so what is your primary identity? I, I think of myself, I mean, I, I'm, I'm an American. I'm Southern by the grace of God. Okay. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, um, I think I'm, I, I think of myself as middle class. I'm an English speaker as the only language I speak. You know, it's, we, we think of ourselves in these categories. But what is my primary identity? My primary identity is a Christian. And our primary identities ought to be as Christians. And what, what do Christians do? Christians give up their rights to win people to the gospel. Christians give up their comforts and their securities. I'm sitting down at this table and there's all kinds of food on this table that makes me really uncomfortable. Makes me feel like it's not going to settle on my stomach right, like it's going to kind of kind of taste bad in my mouth, the unfamiliar flavors, unfamiliar animals and things and and what am I going to do? Makes me uncomfortable. I feel threatened. I'm going to give up my rights. I'm going to give up my comforts. I'm going to give up my securities all for the sake of the gospel so that I can win, win those who are, win those who are outside of Jesus Christ, win them to Jesus Christ. Now then there's a third category that he brings up there. He says, I became weak to those who are weak. Now then the, we need to review just real quick about who the weak are. In chapter eight, the weak are those, he's talking about those who have a weak conscience. That is, they 
they have a long association with something that is they think of as sin. Long association with something. They think it's sin, but it's not really sin. But if they do what they think is sin, it's sin. So, and this is the idea. You, You never want to be in rebellion against God, not even in your thinking. It's not just about your actions, it's about in your thoughts. So a, a person who is doing something that they, they think is wrong, is wrong, even when it's not wrong, okay? All right, even when, it's, even when this, this thing, this eating of, of food that at some point has some kind of association with an idol somewhere, idols are nothing, idol, they, they don't really exist, that's what Paul says. This is, just, this is really just meat, but this, to this brother, this meat has a, has, a, has a particular connection to idolatry. And he can't get rid of that connection in his mind. And so to eat it would be sin. Well, Paul says, to the weak, I became as weak. That is, I'm giving up meat. I'm giving up all that meat that I could eat because I love my brother. And what I want you to notice here is, is that these are other Christians. So why does, why does Paul have to win other Christians? Well, in chapter 8, he talked about how if we cause our brother to sin, we are destroying our brother. In the same way, on the flip side of that is that when we are, when we are protecting the conscience of our brother, when we are protecting our brothers from sin, we are keeping them from destruction. We are winning them. This is, this is the thing that he's saying. This is the, this is the point. We're doing everything that we can so that we can get everyone that we can to be saved. To those who are outside of Christ, we're going to where those people are outside of Christ and we are flexing and adapting and we are giving up our rights, we're giving up our freedoms, we're giving up our comforts, we are willing to go into threatening situations, into difficult situations, and we want to win them. We have brothers and sisters who are in Christ. And God is ultimately keeping them in Christ, but we are his instruments in keeping them in Christ. And so all of those who are in Christ, all of our, all of our weaker brothers, God, God is using us. You think, do you think about the other people who go to church with you? Like, I've got to get these people all the way to the end. It is part of my responsibility, part of my obligation. When, when a brother, I think about James 5. James 5 talks about when you see a brother who is wandering away from the faith, you go and, you go and get that brother and you bring him back, you cover over a multitude of sins. You've kept that brother. That's our responsibility to one another is to do all that we can for everybody that we can to bring them to faith in Jesus Christ. If they're outside of Jesus Christ, to bring them inside of Jesus Christ. If they're outside of Christ in this group, to bring them in. Outside of Christ in this group, to win them to Jesus Christ. If they are in Jesus Christ, believing in Jesus Christ, to encourage them, to stir them up, to love and good deeds. All the more as we see the day approaching, to keep them believing in, in Christ. We need to hear the gospel. We need to hear God's word. We are sustained every day, not by the bread that we eat, but by the word of God that we hear week by week and day by day. That's what we need. And notice that Paul feels an obligation to all of these people. You know, you might think, you know, there's a recognition in, in some place like Galatians 2, Paul is, the, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles, Peter is the apostle to the Jews. 
But Paul never says something along the lines of, you know, I'm really called to this people and I don't really care what happens to these people over here. I, that may sound absurd, but I, I, really, I really have heard something along those lines of where I'm just not really called to those people. That's not my calling. I'm only called to these people. What Paul saw it as his obligation to strengthen the faith of everyone, to win everyone to faith in Jesus Christ. And so I think that there, I think there are sometimes where we, where we play our, play our preferences and, and, and excuse ourselves from giving up our rights for some people. So, so when we think of people outside the church, you know, what we, what we don't want to do, First Corinthians 10, he talks about not giving offense to Jew or Gentile or the church of God. When we think about, we think about people outside the church, we don't want to give offense to the rich outside the church. But we're, we're, we're okay offending the poor or vice versa. Or we don't want to offend the young outside the church, but we're okay with offending the aged or vice versa. We're okay offending some people outside the church. We're, we're willing to give up our rights for some people, our preferred group, but not willing to give up our rights for another group. Paul, who is the apostle of the Gentiles, does not want to offend Jews either. His responsibility, he says this in, in Romans, he says, I am under obligation to Greek and to Jew. I am under obligation to all. Even, even here in verse 19, he says, I have enslaved myself to all for the sake of the gospel that I might win some. I want to win everybody that I can. From every group out there, I will lay, there is nothing that I will not give up. No comfort, no security, no rights, no freedom. That is too precious to me that I would not give it up to win somebody to Jesus Christ. And not only that, but not only, not only those outside the church, but also those inside the church. Think for, in some cases, there are some people who are willing to offend anyone outside the church, so long as it doesn't offend anybody in the church. Or vice versa. Some people glory in, in provoking and, uh, church people. You know, try, kind of trying to, trying to, trying to stir up something so that they can, so they can, they can do something kind of, kind of creative and imaginative to win, win outsiders. Paul says, I don't, I, I'll become like anybody to win them to Jesus Christ. And I don't want to give offense to Jew or Gentile or to anybody in the church of God. That's my commitment. What is it that keeps you from reaching those people? Those people across the street, those people across the globe. What is it that is your security, your comfort, your freedom, your right that, that, that keeps you from reaching those people, those people who are different from you, those people who make you feel uncomfortable? Where the gospel challenges, challenges us is we give up our rights to go and win those people to the gospel. Now then, look at what Paul says. He says, I become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Literally, it is that I may become a participant in it. And he says there, I think this is really important because here Paul is, is talking about motivation. Talking about motivation. It looks like someplace like Galatians 1, 
uh, that some people would accuse Paul of being a people pleaser. That is, Paul, you, you, you act different ways around different people. And Paul is saying, yeah, I'll act different ways around different people. That's what I do. So I can win them to the gospel. But they, they're just saying, hey, he's just trying to get people to, to like him. He's just trying to win a popularity contest. He's a, he's a man pleaser. He doesn't have the fear of God. He's a people pleaser. And he's just trying to, to get these people to like him. But Paul says, I'm, I'm not trying to win a popularity contest. He says, I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I might, that I might be a participant in it. So think about this. Paul, Paul sees Jesus Christ, who is, who is completely and totally other. The Son of God is other from us, apart from us. God, God, we are separated from God by our sin, and yet the Son of God, who is other, he comes and he becomes a human being. He identifies with those whom he calls brothers. And he takes upon himself flesh and he goes to the cross and he dies for sinners. That is the gospel. That Jesus Christ would come and that he would die in our place for everyone who would trust in him and turn from their sins. Paul sees that and he sees himself as as participating in that. That is, his conduct is extending what Jesus Christ came to do. Jesus Christ is a bringer of good news. And he has commissioned his church to carry the good news to all nations, to all peoples. It's like, it's like the way he talks in, in different places. He talks about it being in con- his, his conduct being in step with the gospel or filling up the afflictions of Jesus Christ. He sees himself as, as gloriously, as gladly being used by Jesus Christ to bring the gospel to all these people. Jesus Christ came from other, and he came to those of us like us. So we go to those who are different from us who make us uncomfortable. We face every hardship, every danger, every discomfort. We give up our freedom for them. Will you give up your comforts to reach people for the gospel? Will you give up your securities? Will you give up the, the, the equivalent of eating something that doesn't feel right? I'm afraid that a lot of us won't give up our comforts then we will give up our comforts just so far as it's comfortable. (laughs) But no further. We need, we we are being called and we are being challenged. We are being pushed to give up our, our rights for all people. Whoever we might be able to do anything to win to the gospel. Now then, we, we see what we are called to do, that we are, we are to be all things to all peoples, that by any means we might win some, that we might save some for the sake of the gospel. Now then, in this mission, I'm going to do something just a little bit different. It's not typically what we do, but there are a couple of issues that are raised in verses 19 through 23 that we have this opportunity, I kind of feel this obligation to, to talk about. The first one is, is, is contextualization. May never have heard the word, the term contextualization, uh, but but you may have you, you've probably been influenced by it or exposed to it at some point. The idea of contextualization is just how do we become like 
the people that we are trying to reach. So we, we're a church in Hammond, Louisiana. How do, we, how do we flex or adapt the way that Paul teaches us to here? How do we flex or adapt to reach people in Hammond? Or if I were to move to, if, we, if some of us were to move to New England or we move to France or we move to Turkey or we move to Thailand, how, how are we going to flex or adapt to reach those people? And there are a couple of things right here in 1 Corinthians that I want us to look at. I want us to see three things that Paul is not willing to adapt. Three ways that he's not willing to flex. So turn back to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1, and look at verse 18. The, the first two things that he, he's unwilling to flex on are the message and the method. The, me, the message and the method. Look at verse 18. He says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are pre- perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Or skip to verse 23. Verse 23, he says, For the foolishness of God, I'm sorry, uh, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So so 1 Corinthians 9, Paul says, I don't want to give offense to anybody. I don't want to put any kind of obstacle in anybody's way. I don't want to keep anybody. I don't want to cause anybody to stumble. I don't want to offend anybody. And here he is talking about the gospel. The message of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ coming for us, dying on the cross, being raised from the dead. He comes and he does that, and he says, this is offensive to people. It's offensive because it requires them to recognize their sin. It requires them to recognize their need for a Savior. It, it, it requires them to recognize their, uh, that they cannot rely upon their own works. It requires them to recognize the, the necessity of repentance and trusting in somebody else, trusting in Jesus Christ. This is offensive to people. So Paul is saying, hey, I, there are all these ways that I would do anything. Hey, I would eat meat forever to keep someone from sinning. So that I would not cause somebody to stumble. But when it comes to the, to the gospel itself, I am not going to flex or adapt. I'm not going to change a thing. The things, and this is one of the things when people talk about being all things to all people. Here's what I'm afraid of. I think what they sometimes are trying to do is make the gospel obscure and a little bit ambiguous. So it's not quite so offensive. If you don't really understand what the gospel is, then it won't be quite so offensive. So we leave out the parts that are a little bit offensive or we, or, or especially we just kind of emphasize other things. We kind of, we kind of, ha- we kind of have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of gospel stuff over here, but we really emphasize this. This is out there in front. You know, the, the, the thing that Paul did is when he talked about being all things to all people, he meant making the gospel more clear. Often people will point out Paul's changing way that, the changing way that he communicated things to different groups in Acts. But you go and look at those places, he's not changing the way that he talks to those people to make the gospel more obscure or more ambiguous. He is talking about the gospel in those ways to make it clear. When he's talking to Jews, he's going to make it clear to Jews. You're lawbreakers. You're lawbreakers. And you crucified the Son of God, the Messiah. Now repent. When he's talking to Gentiles, he's talking about you rebelled against your creator, the one who gives you rain and sunshine every day. He gives you crops every day, and you have shown him no gratitude. You need to repent. 
But he's, he's not saying that to make it, to, to kind of pull his punches. He is setting himself up to make it clear. Make it clear. So he doesn't change the message. And so we don't change the message. Now then, look at 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. He also does not change the method. One of the things I read my first year in seminary, read this book that I would recommend to no one. Okay? We must, said something along the lines of, we must not change the message, but we have to continually change the method. I think that that is terribly wrong. And I think that it has corrupted and hurt the church over the last 30 or 40 years. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's method, we already saw it in chapter 1, we see it here, is preaching or proclaiming. When I talk about preaching, I'm not talk, just talking about what I'm doing. I'm talking about every time we talk about the gospel with someone. Every time we teach or herald or proclaim or declare the gospel to someone in any context. And Paul's method is preaching. And you can see in the way that he talks about language, in the way that he talks about communicating it. He obviously sees that there are some forms of communicating the gospel that don't fit with the gospel, that actually undermine the gospel. He says, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to present this to you in such a way that you're not relying upon my eloquence or my ability to entertain, but you are relying upon the Spirit of God himself. These, this, is, this, is not, this, is not, this is not attracting or entertaining people. This is just frankly declaring what the gospel is. This is what it is. I want you to know as clear as I can make it. And this is one of the things I think is so wonderful. As, as one writer has pointed out, preaching is culture neutral. You know, you might change the language. We might, uh, we might all be sitting down. We might all be sitting on the floor. The preacher might be standing. Everybody else is sitting or everybody else might be standing. The preacher's sitting. It does, what, you, you, but you can go and do that anywhere in the world. The language is going to be different. The meeting place is going to be different. It might be under a tree, might be in a building, might be in a cathedral, might be in English, might be in Spanish, might be in French, might be in uh, uh, 6,000 other languages that do not have the gospel in those languages yet. Could be in any of those ways. But you can preach the gospel to those people. You don't have to be educated. You don't have to have a, 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 any kind of background or any kind of training. But before, before you come to hear a sermon, before you come and hear the gospel, you don't have to ha be, have a, a high intellectual capacity. All you need to hear the gospel preached is two ears and a responsive heart. And I guess you actually only need one ear. You need to be able to hear and be ready to respond. To the gospel. 
So I think there are two things that Paul does not flex on. Paul does not adapt. He does not flex on or adapt the message or the method. I think that sometimes when, when people have, have tried to contextualize, they have been very naive. They think that they can remove what, and, and I almost feel like when, whenever people are, are talking about to contextualizing the gospel, what they are talking about is taking some of the gospel elements out and making it a lot more, a lot more non-preachy. Because preachy's bad, okay? Let's take all those things off. Paul does not change those things. And not only that, but Paul's motivation, remember Paul's motivation was for the sake of the gospel. I think that sometimes our motivation for changing things is not for the sake of the gospel. It's so that people will like us. It's because we are people pleasers. But to proclaim the gospel, you have to not be a people pleaser. You have, to, you have to be unafraid of what people will think of you, and you have to be sold out to one master, one Lord, Jesus Christ, to give the message that he has given in the way that he has told you to give it. So we, when we are thinking about how we become all things to all people, what, how should we think of it? Think of it as what does it take to sit down and eat with someone? Jesus Christ himself, he came and he ate with tax collectors and sinners. Paul, he came and he ate, he ate kosher food with the Jews and he ate un, non-kosher food, un, impure food with the Gentiles. What does it take for you to sit down and eat with somebody and have a meal with them and have a conversation with them? What are you willing to give up? Are you willing to give up literally your taste and your preferences? You're willing to sit on the floor, eat with your hands. You're willing to give up gestures or mannerisms that might be offensive to them. Are you willing to tolerate language and mannerisms and gestures that might be offensive to you? Are you, are you willing to dress a little different? Are you willing, are you willing to, to learn their language instead of forcing them to learn yours? Those are the kinds of rights that we need to be giving up. Becoming all things to all people is not, is not something that is intended to stir up our imaginations or get our creative juices flowing so that we can think of how do we get them. What it calls us to is to die to ourselves. Whenever it feels edgy and exciting, it's probably not giving up all things for all people. When it feels restraining and uncomfortable, you're probably moving in the right direction. That's what we're called to. I think that's what contextualization looks like. What does it look like to reach your neighbor, people who live in Hammond or the surrounding areas? What does it look like to reach people in New England or France or Turkey or Thailand? It doesn't look like coming up with some new, imaginative, creative, edgy, cool way of doing it. It takes people who will get up and go to those people in all of the awkwardness and discomfort and insecurity that they have surrounding them and coming up out of their stomachs and to go and eat a meal with them 
and to tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think that's one of the things that felt like we needed to talk about. And I think that as, as God calls our church as a whole and as God calls, us, calls people out of our church to go to other people, this is how we think about reaching people with the gospel. We carry the gospel and we preach it to them. And we've, we're ready to flex and adapt on a lot of things, but not on those things. Now then, the, the second thing I want to kind of address at length is the law of God. Specifically, the Christian's relationship to the Old Covenant law or the Mosaic law. If you look at 1 Corinthians 9, you should have noticed, if you were paying attention, you should have noticed there were two things I left out. Okay, There are two things I didn't address. So I want to talk about those things now because it helps us to understand how do we relate to those parts of the, the Old Testament? How do we relate to Old Testament law or Old Covenant law or Mosaic law? Look in verses 20 and 21. There, there are two phrases that in, in a lot of modern translations, translations are in parentheses or maybe they're set off in another kind of way. In verse 20, he says, though not being myself under the law, though not being myself under law. But then in verse 21, he says, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Just in those simple parenthetical statements, I think Paul explains to us how we relate to the Mosaic law, how we relate to the old covenant law. So when he says, I'm not under the law anymore, he is talking about the covenant law that was given to the nation of Israel at Mount Sinai. And like I said, this, this covenant had lots of laws. It had civil laws. That is, those laws that were given to the nation of Israel, especially to the nation of Israel, to govern it. And Paul thinks of himself as not being obligated to obey those laws anymore. The second category that is usually seen is ceremonial laws. These are the laws that had to do with festivals and, and priest and temple and, and sacrifice. And he sees those things as not being obligated to those things anymore. Not obligated to circumcision, not obligated to, to festival keeping or Sabbath keeping anymore. Not obligated to those things anymore. Now then, why, why is that? After all, those are God's laws. So why is it that Paul sees that he is not obligated to obey those? See, why does he say, I'm not under those things anymore? It's because the Mosaic law was temporary. God gave it to a particular nation, Israel, for a particular time with specific purposes. And when those purposes were completed, that law covenant was no longer necessary. So let me just talk about two of those purposes. Two of those purposes. The first purpose is, the first, uh, two primary purposes. The first one is, is to demonstrate transgressions. So both Romans 4 and Galatians 3 will talk about the, the law coming to demonstrate transgressions, to increase transgression. This is what it's like. Sin was sin even before the giving of the law. But with the giving of the law, God gave commands that said, don't go across this line. It's like if I were, it's like if I went off of my property and I wandered onto somebody else's property, I'm trespassing. 
I'm trespassing whether I know it or not. If, I, if I'm on somebody else's property, I'm trespassing. But if there are no trespassing signs all along the way, and there's like a barbed wire fence, and, and like I get over the barbed wire, then that's a, that's a much bigger difference. That's a transgression. Sin is sin. But with the giving of the law, God increased transgressions. He demonstrated this is what is wrong. And he demonstrated in the nation of Israel that with the, with the breaking of God's law comes curse. And with the keeping of God's law comes blessing. But since we have only broken God's law, we only stand under the curse of God's law because we are lawbreakers. There had to be one who would come and keep the law in our place in order for us to be blessed. Now then, once, once that time period has come, has come and gone, once that purpose has been completed, and that purpose was completed with the coming of Jesus Christ, the law demonstrated to us, you're a sinner and you need a savior. If you sin, you are separated from God. Adam and Eve are, are removed from the Garden of Eden because of their sin. The nation of Israel is removed from the promised land because of their sin. You will be removed eternally from the presence of God because of your sin unless you trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comes. We now know that we are sinners. We know that we are transgressors. So we trust in Jesus Christ. The second reason is, is that the, the law of God teaches us our need for a Savior, our need for a Messiah. That is, it prepared the way. It gave us a temple and altar and priest and sacrifice to show us this is how you have access to God. Jesus Christ is our temple and our priest and our altar and our sacrifice. He is the one. It was it's through the, his flesh that we are made one with, with God that we are brought into God's presence. And so once those purposes are done, once those purposes are completed, and we're ready to trust in Jesus Christ, we're no longer bound by that old covenant law anymore. Now then, what about the moral aspect of it, though? What about God's moral law? If you've been paying attention in 1 Corinthians, you can see that Paul does not allow immorality. He's not for immorality. He is teaching morality. But why is he teaching that morality? What is the basis for that morality? Well, he says, I am not out from under the law of God, but I am under the law of Christ. So our, think of the moral law. The moral law is up here. The moral law is, is the expression of God's righteousness that is timeless. And it is expressed, it is revealed in three different times. It's revealed at creation and in creation. So just by the very fact of being human beings made in God's image, we have an understanding of God's law. Romans 1, Paul will talk about being able to see that there's a creator to rejecting that creator and also knowing the decree that goes along with the rejection of that creator. That is, we know what the punishment is. Even without the law, we know without, without the expression of the law, we, we have something inside, our, we have in, in our consciences an understanding of the law. Not a perfect expression, but a genuine one, one and one that holds us accountable. In the giving of the Mosaic law, in the giving of the Mosaic covenant, also God's, God's law was expressed. The Mosaic law, even the Ten Commandments, I would say, is not equivalent to the moral law of God. But they are expressions of God's law. 
the expressions of God's covenant for that time period to those people. But the final and fullest expression of God's law is in the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ goes up on a mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, and he teaches God's law. He teaches what it is to obey his commands. It is, it is now his commands that matter. Jesus Christ is now the reference point. It's not just the word of God spoken through Moses. It is God himself revealed in Jesus Christ. Our reference point for obedience is obedience to Jesus Christ. So since, since all, in, in all three of these areas, they are expressions of God's law, we're going to expect overlap between what our conscience says is right and what Jesus Christ says is right. And there's going to be overlap between the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant with the new King, Jesus Christ, and his royal law. There's going to be overlap. There's going to be significant overlap. But the final and fullest expression of the commands of God, of the law of God, is in Jesus Christ. And so we obey Jesus Christ. We learn about God's law even by looking at the Old Testament law. We, it is still an expression of God's character. But Jesus Christ is like a prism that when the, when the light of God's law shines through it, we see all the colors of God's law. And we see all of the, the expressions of God's law through Jesus Christ. We should never skip over the cross or skip over the coming of Jesus Christ, but everything is through Jesus Christ. And what that should do is bring us full circle back to where we started. First, uh, Galatians 5.14, Paul says, the whole law is summarized in this, love your neighbor as yourself. Why would we go out to people who are not like us, who make us feel uncomfortable, who seem strange to us, why would we give up our freedoms and our rights? It's because the law of God, the law of Christ requires it. What would you want others to do for you while you were in your lost and dying and condemned condition? What would you want someone to do for you? Would you want them to tolerate a little stomach upset? a little bit of awkward conversation, a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of insecurity? Would you want them to brave some small threatenings to come and share the gospel with you? That's what it means to become all things to all people. We love our Jewish neighbor. We love our Gentile neighbor. We love our weaker brother. We love them, our neighbor, as we ourselves would want to be loved. And so that means giving up our rights for the sake of the gospel, that we might win all the more, everybody, in every way that we can, win them to the gospel with the gospel. Father, uh, thank you for your word, and thank you for uh, your, your, the expression of your character and your laws and your commands and your challenges Thank you for the comfort that comes through knowing that Jesus Christ has come and has died in our place and that there is no condemnation for us. But please grant that we would be willing to give up our freedoms to, to go and to win people out of slavery to sin. Please help us to be brave and sacrificial and to become a slave of anyone in order that we might win them to the gospel. Help us to be clear in how to do that. 
And after we have become clear, help us to have conviction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.